Thank you for joining us uh, for another episode of True Wisdom. And by us, I mean Andrew and I. Welcome, Andrew. Welcome, Robert. And if this is your first time to the podcast, we welcome you. We um, we want to have a, a small, a very, very short talk on uh, Bible principles. Um, how many Bible principles would you say there are, Andrew? Uh, um, I would argue that it is not a finite number, right? The Bible principles outline the wisdom of God to us, at least the wisdom of God that we're expected to be able to understand as finite beings. Um, I don't. I think that's innumerable. Who by searching can find out God? The Scripture says. So there are lots and lots and lots of principles that I've heard expressed, or have seen expressed, or have studied and and discovered. And uh, so I don't know that we can assign a number to it. All right, but we do have a theme mm-hmm. verse, and what's that? Yes, we do. Our theme verse is Proverbs 9, 9 and 10. Okay. Of course, I will get to it in one second. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not memorized yet? Oh, well, sort of. Sort of. But it's it's like, um, I'm always nervous about, about borking it. <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> Misquoting text. Yeah. I, yeah, I just there's certain texts that I have memorized um, kind of more fully, but then there are other texts that that I'm just more nervous about. I don't know. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Proverbs nine nine and ten. Excellent. Um, I believe it is my turn to pray, to start. Uh, Dear Lord, we thank you for this day, this opportunity to have this podcast to reach others with your word. Uh, This is really just an encouragement for everyone to study for themselves. And um, we pray that whatever we say will bring glory and honor to your name. Amen. Amen. So what is the topic for today? So we had a request to revisit something we had done in the past, but more in a more specific way than we had done it in the past, um, or focusing on another area. So we're looking at um, Judah and his two sons in Genesis chapter 38. The last time we were here, we spoke more about Judah and Tamar, but this time we're going to kind of deal with the first the first part of the verse, and we're going to deal with something. Um, we're going to deal with how do you derive principles and instruction when, when there's a lot of unknown. Mm. Okay. Okay. Um, and so we're going to deal with verses 1 through 10 of Genesis 38. Genesis 38. It's pretty straightforward. And it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren and turned in to a certain Adulamite, whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shua, 
And he took her and went in unto her. And she conceived and bare a son, and he called his name Ur. And she conceived again and bare a son, and she called his name Onan. And she yet again conceived and bare a son, and called his name Shelah. Shelah. And he was at Chezib when she bare him. And okay. She, okay. Um, so we have some information here. It says, and, and it came to pass at that time that Judah went down. What time are we discussing? Uh, we would have to go back to 37. Mm-hmm. Yes, we would. Oh, this is right after they sold Joseph into slavery. Yes. Oy. Correct. So right at that time, Judah separates himself from his brethren. doesn't say why, but remember, in chapter 37... We learn that um, in chapter 37, we learn that these brethren were trying to uh, get rid of Joseph in some way. And it was, it was uh, Reuben who had stood up for him. Mm-hmm. Right? It was Reuben that had stood up for him. Um, so we can assume that there's a little bit of conflict with the family after this. Right? Because remember, what happens? They have to go and tell their father this thing that has happened. And now, Jacob is bereaved. Right, distraught. Good good word. And now they're all thinking, whose idea was it to do this foolishness anyway? So there's going to be some little discontent, but it says that he left. Of all of all his brethren, he left. And these are grown men now, too. You know that we forget about that. They weren't little boys when they did this. They're they're grown men. Right. Um, he doesn't have any children yet. He's about. To, he has them in the reading, but in verse one, he doesn't have any children yet. But at that time, he went down from his brethren and went over to a certain Abdulamite. Okay. And and then he sees the daughter of a certain Canaanite, the Canaanite's name being Shua, not the daughter of the Canaanite. So his wife's name is not known. Okay? And so he goes in unto her, and she conceives and bears him three children. Now, this is just listed back to back to back to back, but you will see when you read um, when you read I, I set up the verse 10 but um, read up to verse 11 so we get so we can finish up the context all right and Judah so I'm at verse 6 now and Judah took a wife for Ur his firstborn whose name was Tamar and Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. Okay, pause here a second. We are given no hint as to what this wickedness is. We're going to find out that his brother is also wicked, but in a very specific way that is described. So whatever Jew, whatever Ur's wickedness is, 
it's not recorded, and we can safely assume that it's worse than Onan's, which is recorded just a few verses later. We don't know what the wickedness is, but God took it into his hands. It was so perverse that God slew him directly because of this wickedness. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing in the Bible that tells us what the wickedness is. I've seen speculation from commentators. Okay, I've seen speculation. I don't know what it is. Um, is the wickedness in in conjunction with the wife? Um, mm. wait, hold on. Let me say that properly. I don't mean did he and Tamar collaborate for it, because the rest of the of this chapter doesn't give you that indication. Right, no what I mean to say is, right, none. What I mean to say is, Omar, Onan's wickedness was in relation to his dealing with Tamar, as we will see. Was Ur's wickedness in relation to that? No clue. It says Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. Was he wicked in relation to the wife? Was he wicked not in relation to the wife? Was he wicked in some general sense in business dealings? It was bad enough that God didn't even record it. He only recorded the wickedness and the penalty. And mind you, there are very few places in the scripture where people get slain for wickedness out of turn. Right? There's usually a bit of a buildup. And I don't mean to say that this was just arbitrary, because we are still in the part of Genesis where Moses is flying through some of the stories. Right. Right? But still, we don't have that many places in the Bible where people do things and are struck down. Right? Even Nadab and Abihu, well, Nadab and Abihu are, when they brought strange fire, fine, but they were warned in advance not to do that. Um as a general thing, they weren't personally warned in advance. The, the, the priests were told that this was the fire that was to be brought before the Lord, and they weren't to bring strange fire before the Lord. Um, Hophni and Phinehas, mm-hmm. they were doing wickedness for a while. Yes, they died in battle, but they were doing wickedness for a while. Enough that their father got in trouble because he had multiple opportunities to um, to deal with them for that. Right. Uh, we do have Uzzah, we've done we've done the podcast before where Uzzah died for touching the Ark of the Covenant. We do have um, the other folks in in Beth Shemesh who looked at the Ark of the Covenant when it came back from from the Philistines. We have um, well Achan. No, see, I'm not going to say Achan or Korodes and Abiram. Their situations were prolonged. Like you can see stubbornness in there. And maybe that's just a matter of the story being told over a period of time. Because the truth is, if it says, and Judah, or Judah's firstborn was wicked and beside the Lord, he had to have been doing wickedness to be considered wicked. We just aren't told what it is, right? So even then, I want to be careful. I don't want to imply that he did one thing and was struck down at that moment. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? The absence of information shouldn't allow us to conclude that it was an instantaneous thing. Like, he was walking, minding his business, and then blasphemed and lightning came out of heaven and took him out. It's an ongoing thing. Right. Clearly, clearly. 
right? Clearly, because it says it's wicked in the sight of the Lord. This is a persistent thing. And in the sight of the Lord, um, there, there are a lot of ways to look at it. We don't have enough info to, to take it in any other direction than the obvious one, which is God decided that he was wicked. Um, you could you could conclude, because it says in the sight of the Lord, that no one else could see it but God. But that's not safe to say, because when you look through the kings of Israel and they talk about wicked kings, they sometimes refer to them as wicked in the sight of the Lord. And those kings are doing wickedness publicly. Mm-hmm. Right. So you do, you don't want to there, there isn't enough to support the idea that it was secret wickedness and he was just manifesting this good face over here, but he was secretly doing wicked. The fact of the matter is God deemed that it was wicked and God dealt with it. And it was so egregious in a certain way that it's not mentioned. Right. And it's. Yeah, that's that's the stunning part. The only good thing for us in this story is that in this whole chapter, there's so many people doing dirty things in this chapter. The fact that that's the only one that's not outlined indicates that it's worse than the others. Mm. If this story alone, this story was just him. If if we if we'd done five verses and it said Ur was wicked in the sight of the Lord and the Lord slew him, and then it just went on with some other stuff, you could say, well, maybe it's just that Moses is moving quickly here and so it doesn't get into it, or maybe the brethren he's telling it to know about it because it's in their family tree only a couple of generations and maybe they know, right? You could say those things, but the problem is he's about to disclose Onan's sin. And then he's going to say what Judah did, and then he's going to say what Tamar did. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he won't say the first one, but says the other three, it's something that God chose not to record. And we don't even get good reason for why. And, uh, good reason. We don't have a good understanding of why. I don't want to say good reason like God owes us a reason for, for doing it. I want to say that we there isn't a hint given as to what it is, but it's wicked enough that God said, nope, he has to be dealt with right away, A, and B, I don't need to record it. It could be that his wickedness wasn't the cause of anything. It's just wickedness. It it's It's more as if it doesn't move the story along for you to know what it was. You just have to accept the fact that he was wicked enough to strike down. Um, sure. That's that's a perspective. But it could have said fought wickedly in his heart. You, you said, like more details could be given. It's interesting to me that God chooses not to give details here. Like that means something. Mm-hmm. Right? Because we we have stories all throughout the Bible where the way a person thinks is signaled is um singled out for being problematic. We had Haman and his wicked thoughts that were singled out, right? We had we had um, different people blasphemed in their hearts. We we have all of these stories. We have the book of Job, which Moses also writes. Right? We understand that that's the first book that he wrote of scripture. Um, we have that, and you can see where people's thought processes are shown to be in error. Hmm. But here. Um, Ur is wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. And the commentators are all over the place on that wickedness and what it was and, and how it was. And 
There's no time associated with this. So we don't know how long he was in that state of wickedness before the Lord slew him. But he's, he, or when it started, right? He's obviously old enough to be married. Right, right. But they haven't had a child yet. Okay, right. they haven't had a child yet. Um, and clearly, Tamar's not barren, as we would learn from the rest of the story. Right. Okay, so that's what we have right now. And we could speculate randomly, but the truth of the matter is, um, we we just need to understand that the situation was bad enough that God didn't allow him to procreate. Like, that's a consideration we never make. But God slew him before he procreated. Mm. Well, and what's weird is, as bad as Judah was, he was allowed to procreate. Multiple times, right. All right. Okay. All right, so now we're at verse 8. And Judah mm-hmm. said unto Onan, Go in unto thy brother's wife and marry her and raise up seed to thy brother. Pause a second. Pause a second. Um, for whatever reason, I don't think I've ever noticed that it said marry her. Yes, yes. Because you notice the word marry is not used in any of the other contexts, but basically... When we get to this part of the story, when he says, go into thy brother's wife and marry her, it means that all those other things were marriage. It wasn't just people shacking up. It just because they didn't say it, it was, it's understood. We should understand that when God's people get together with a spouse, that it's in marriage. And for whatever reason, Moses captures the direct quote from Judah, which says marriage. And so we need to understand that all of those other arrangements were marriage. Right. Even though they didn't say them. So, because I heard the argument, and probably why it stands out to me more now reading it this time, is I've heard the argument in recent weeks where they're like, oh, people didn't get married in the Old Testament. And it's like, why not? Why do you think that wasn't the case? Oh, Mar- Adam didn't marry Eve. Why would you say that? It's like, God instituted marriage. Why would God later complain about marriage and divorce and refer back, Christ referred back to the garden, the garden of Eden, when he talks about, therefore, will a man leave his father and mother? Because that's what Moses wrote in conjunction with the man and his wife. So why would God, in an op- at a time where he could establish a foundation for this behavior, not do it because you don't see the word marriage? It is true that we don't want to just read lines into everything, that we don't want to just um, randomly put our own thoughts into that, but we should assume safely when going through the word of God that wherever God is involved in a process, the process is done in the most righteous way possible. So if God puts a man and a woman together, whether it be Adam and Eve or Isaac and Rebecca, it's marriage that's going to be involved because he's the one who established marriage. Yeah, and it it is a foretelling of our relationship with him so there is a rightness to it yeah absolutely okay so 
in verse 9. And Onan mm-hmm. knew that the seed should not be his. And it came to... That's interesting. I always read it as would not be his. Not should not be his. I'm wondering, is there a difference in that? Let me finish it. Let me finish it. And Onan knew okay. that the seed should not be his. And it, came, and it came to pass when he went in unto his brother's wife that he spilled it on the ground, lest that he should give seed to his brother. <laughs> so that, that's a good question. Why would they say should not be his versus would not? Well, until he procre- until he gets a child, like if he had, if he had in fact um, impregnated her, then that seed would not be his. Right. But what they're saying is he knows that if he goes through with it, it will not be his. And in older English, they would say that as should not be. Mm. It was designed that that not end up being his because that's how that worked. When when the situation that's outlined here occurs. Whenever uh, a child dies, um, whenever a, I say a child, whenever a man dies without procreating so that his name would now be dissolved in the earth, his brother, who obviously has to be unmarried, can't be the married brother, the first unmarried male um, relative would marry the wife and then have children towards the first son, yeah. Right. And the first child that comes of that union is essentially the brother's child. And all subsequent children are his children's child, right? So the dead, the deceased would, would get that first child that comes of that union and subsequent children of that union would be to the person who came and, and interceded in that spot. Mm. That's how that process works. Right? And and we see that in the in the Boaz and Ruth story. Exactly. Because was it raise up seed unto Elimelech. Right, and that's when the cousin bowed out. Correct. Correct. Now what's what's interesting about that is that even though technically it raises up seed to Elimelech, the rest of the way of the story, they they only mention Boaz. And when we look through the genealogy, they only mention Boaz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they never make reference to it again. So, And that's the only instance in the Bible that we see it recorded. These are the two places. Successful in the Boaz and Ruth scenario and failure here in the Onan and Tamar scenario. All right. So Onan was worried that it would not be his, that it should not be his by design. And in fact, had he done it, he would have learned what Boaz later learned, which is everybody's going to remember Onan, they're not going to remember Ur. Right. Right? <laughs> Technically, Ur's seed would remain, and in their record keeping, it would still be counted to Ur. But like I said, Boaz's name comes up. We don't read about Elimelech in any of the in any of the genealogies. Right. We don't see it there. That's not how that part of the story is told. So after verse 9, when Onan spilled his seed on the ground, verse mm-hmm. 10 says, And the thing yeah, and the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. 
Now here's here's the question. Uh-huh. Was it the selfishness that killed him? Or the fact that he spilled his seed on the ground? The reason I well, ask in this the reason I ask Well, here's the thing. The reason I ask that question is this is one of the reasons why people rail against um um against contraception contraceptives is that you should never at any point um spill life-giving um bodily fluids on the ground and i have heard that argument that's why contraceptives condoms those things are wrong even among married people yeah okay but so fine that's a good question to come up with but the principle here is very different for instance if he had had the first child and subsequently spilled his seed upon the ground, nothing would have happened to him. Okay. Because the spilling of the seed is not an independent act. It is in a context. That's the selfish part. Correct. Right? The first part. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his. Therefore, it doesn't say therefore, but this is the therefore part. It came to pass when he went in unto his brother's wife that he spilled it on the ground. Like, if he was opposed to it, why, why not did he voice not go the in? and do it? Because he essentially had sex with her, and then he got the benefit out of the interaction and then destroyed the benefit that was intended for the interaction. Yes, because there's also her having children is important for her well-being in society as well. It's it his selfishness was double against the woman and against his against older woman, brother. Against his mm-hmm. and his father because he disobeyed his father. And his father. So it's just wickedness and then obviously the Lord because all of those things are not good in the Lord's sight. Right. Right? All of those things happen. So it's not simply not allowing the seed to get into her, which is a problem. It's the rest of the context that makes that the problem. Because he knew that child wasn't going to be his, so he wasn't letting it happen. And so you said to read verse 11 as well? Yes. And 11 says, Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow at that at thy father's house till Shelah, my son, be grown. For he said, lest perventure he die also, as his brethren did. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. Okay, so she's obedient. Um, so this tells you that the age of Sheila relative to his other two brothers, he's younger. He's not in a position to be married yet. Granted that, granted that Judah is trying to avoid carrying him off at all, mm-hmm. it's plausible argument. It's clearly plausible when she says, wait until my son be grown. Because even later, right, even later, it says, um, which verse is it? In verse 14. For she saw that Sheila was grown, and she was not given unto him to wife. Right. Which so then told is the legitimacy of his statement, regardless of whatever intent he had backing it, 
the legitimacy of the statement is that Sheila is younger. The distance between Onan and Sheila is sufficient that marriage to, to Sheila right away was prohibitive, or at least it could be understood why, why they wouldn't go there. Mm-hmm. But we're not given the ages. That's the only clue that we're given that there's some gap. We don't know if her and Onan are very close in age or that enough time passed from when Ur does this foolishness and dies to where Onan is old enough to be to be married. We don't know that, right? Are they only a year or two apart, and therefore, if one could be married, the other could be? Or are they six years apart, but they've been married for six years with no children, Ur messes up, gets slain, and now, by the time the commentary to Onan comes, Onan is old enough. We don't know that. We can't tell which of the two is there. And and for the sake of argument, I would say it doesn't matter. Like God, God clearly felt it didn't matter because he didn't give us the details. Right. If it mattered, he would have given. Right. Um, but so you see, you see a level of wickedness here and the reasoning behind it. And it's outlined to us. But Ur's sin is not. And I can't tell you why God chose not to do it. Mm. Yeah, it's very interesting. It is. It is. But sometimes you just have to take God at his word. I mean, maybe I shouldn't say it that way. We always have to take God at his word. <laughs> sometimes we don't have the thing to back it. You know what I'm saying? Like God tells us things that are trustworthy, but he also says, prove me now herewith. For instance, when we did the tithes and offering things, he says, look, I'm telling you this. I'm giving you this promise. Prove it. Prove. Show me that you believe and I'll show you that it works, right? He has a promise. Uh, but sometimes he just says, this is this is the answer, this is the situation, and you're not left with anything else to work with but what he said. Right. All right. Okay. Um, now, when we read things like that, um, and of course, when you're having discussions and arguments with people about Scripture, they'll point to things like that and say, ah, see, you don't even know, you don't even understand this and that, the other. Yeah, that's true, but that's not how we read scripture. You know what I'm saying? You don't go looking around for the hardest things to deal with. There's plenty of the Bible that is fully explained. And as you grow in your relationship with God and you have all these fully explained pieces, when you come to these pieces that are not explained, you can trust God to reveal that stuff to you later. And say, you know, you say, look, I, I look at all the record of Genesis and Exodus, and this is the one story in Genesis where I'm not sure what you use as a metric for for his behavior. I shouldn't say that either. We do know what God used. He hasn't told us what the violation was. So we know that he's always using his law as a transcript, which is a transcript of his character, but as a, as a, a benchmark for righteousness and wickedness. Um so we know that that's what he's using. We don't. He didn't give us any enough details to conclude for ourselves or support his verdict. But this is where we have to say, Lord, I see every other time you rendered it, you were right on point. I trust you in this case, just like those other times. That's very true. All right. Why don't you go ahead and pray us out? And then we'll close this lesson. Absolutely. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege that we have of coming together like this and studying your word together. 
we thank you for your word, even when we don't have all the answers, even when reading it or studying it gives us more questions than answers. But we know, Lord, that there are things that you're teaching us by this. We know that we sometimes just have to depend on you. We don't have another option. We don't have anything that we can anchor to other than your promise and your word. So help us to trust you. Help us to look in your word for better explanations about your character and look through all those experiences that show how you interact with man so that when we see these things where there doesn't seem to be as much detail, we can still trust in you just as firmly as in the circumstances where there's plenty of context given. Forgive us of our sins, Lord, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and please be with our ministry here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if this is not the third and fourth time that you've um, heard this podcast, we'd like you to go back and take a look. We have over 150 podcasts about the Bible, and you can find them all at truewisdom.busprout.com or Go to our website, uh, info, uh, excuse me, truewisdom.info. Our email address is info at truewisdom.info. And you could also reach us on Twitter at truewisdom underscore pod. And if you need some more in-depth Bible study, maybe 150 episodes isn't good enough for you. You need to know more about the Bible. Andrew also has his podcast available at... Rightly divide the word of truth at biblestudy.asbzone.com. We've got a lot of podcasts there. Um, and we get into many of the same uh, lessons that are here. So we don't do as many stories necessarily, uh, but we cover all of the same themes. We get into detail about the principles of Bible study. And basically, it's a different, it's another way for you to get in-depth study in the Word of God. We thank you for listening, and we pray you will be blessed.